0: Well, I thought Reformation Day would be a good chance to test our theological understanding of our Christian faith. So these should be fairly simple, simple true-false statements. So let's put the first statement up here. Saved by grace. Is this true or false? True. Okay, we mostly agree it's true. And it is true because Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved. All right, next one. Saved by faith. True. We agree that one's true because the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith from Philippians. What about the next one? Saved by God. Hmm. True. Okay, we like that one. The free gift of God is eternal life. Comes from Romans chapter six. And the next one, very similar, saved by Jesus. Jesus is God. So obviously the answer is true. All right. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved come from the writer of Acts. What about this one? Saved by works. False, really? Hmm. What about if I adjust it just a little bit? Saved by God's works. A little happier with that? Okay, true. Yeah, saved by God's works. But if we take out God's and we assume God's, then this statement is true. Saved by works. As long as we're not assuming that it's my works or our works or human works. No, God does these things. God, in verse 23 of our text, makes us right. In verse 25, God presented Jesus. And God did all these things that Paul has just talked about in our text. So in the words of the great theologian Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars Episode Six. That phrase that we just talked about is true from a certain point of view. Yeah, as long as you're not assuming that we are saved by our own works, then it's good. Put God's works in there. Now, I even thought about titling my message today, Saved by Works, but I figured I'd have to answer a lot of questions this morning before I even got a chance to explain. And you might not have even let me get up here. If you saw that on the front sign, if Pastor Neil came in and said, Really? No, you're out of here, Pastor Dan. <laughs> I could just imagine the hullabaloo in the gathering area before the service. How can a Lutheran pastor preach that we are saved by works and on Reformation Sunday of all weekends? Because today is the day that you expect to hear how Martin Luther rediscovered the biblical truths that we are saved through faith in Jesus alone not saved by any of our own efforts. Our sermon text from Romans chapter 3 highlights what God's works are and teach us that while we have no hand in securing our eternal salvation for ourselves, we can be absolutely certain of it. So we're going to do what you would normally expect to hear on Reformation Sunday, is where you're going to hear about Martin Luther. Hopefully there's a little bit of review, but hopefully there's some new pieces to this as well. Most historians mark October 31st, 1517 as the beginning of the Reformation. That's when a German Catholic monk named Martin Luther posted his 95 theses, his 95 statements, just like they are on our door downstairs, as you saw them on the way in. Now, this door that he posted these 95 statements on served as kind of a bulletin board for the academics in the area. Remember, these were discourses. These were things for discussion, for dialogue and debate. They were never intended to turn the Christian church on its ear. Because Luther was convinced that the church in that day wasn't teaching things quite right. Over and over, the, te- the church was teaching that we could do things for ourselves if only we would work harder, try harder by indulgences and those kinds of things. Now, Luther, he had tried living that way. He had even left behind a promising career as a lawyer to join a monastery. But even in his time in the monastery, rather than feel that he was satisfied and on his way to being right with God, he just got further and further away. Luther felt himself sliding uncontrollably towards God's eternal anger instead of God's love and grace. The more Luther learned about God's law the worse he felt, because he felt his sin all the more. That's the point the Apostle Paul was getting at in our text when he writes these words, for by law, the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And one of my new favorite YouTubers that I watch now is a concrete guy named Ryan. He owns Victory Outdoor Services, and he works in the Milwaukee area. I really appreciate the process and the time and attention that he takes, especially when it comes to laying cement. I didn't think there'd be anything interesting about laying cement, and Kinlan certainly doesn't like it when I watch it because it's not interesting to her at all. But I love it, the the planning, the placing, the stringing, the leveling, the forms, getting the right pitch and angle to get the water to go off the patio or driveway that he's laying. He takes time and pride in his work to do a good job with nice straight joints, making everything even. Someone with OCD, I really appreciate that. Well, friends, in our faith life, it's the same because God wants us to line ourselves up next to the straight rule, keep us in the curb, and look at ourselves in the mirror of his law and commands. What will those things show us? (laughs) Well, it's going to show us how crooked we really are. But unfortunately, in this day, we don't usually compare ourselves, our actions and attitudes out in the world. We don't compare ourselves with God's law like Martin Luther did in his day. No, we're more like the boy who scrubs his hands and says, hey, I'm ready for dinner. And then his mom takes one look at him and sends him back to the bathroom where he looks himself in the mirror and realizes his face is all caked with dirt and mud. Something he would have noticed had he originally looked at the mirror. And friends, I'm the same way. I love to pat myself on the back when I finish studying some really tough text, but conveniently overlook how often I just seem to be trying to get through those readings, as if reading God's Word is not a true joy and blessing, but rather an obligation some days. What sins would the law review for you if you were to carefully line yourself up with it? Maybe you've got a disappointment in your life because you feel like you ought to be thanked for the wonderful meals that you make. Maybe you get disappointed because you think you ought to be recognized for all the good things that you do out in the world. And how much of that attitude reveals your inward-looking focus rather than being focused outward, as we are taught as Christians to do? You know, we seem to think that the world revolves around us. But what God's law does is it reminds us who really is at the very center of things, and friends, it is not us. The straight edge of God's law also reveals that sins don't often start with our attitudes and actions of outward, but often starts inside us, especially what we have going on in between our ears when we start thinking of things that maybe we oughtn't to be thinking of. Now, maybe I haven't hit upon a sin that you in particular struggle with. But if that's the case, let's consider the verse from our text. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who's included here? Each and every one of you, myself, every human being, except Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just the war criminals and the war overseas, not just terrorists in the Middle East or the drug dealers downtown. I've sinned, and my friends, you have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of God's approval because, well, we harbor bitterness towards others. We bend the truth to our own advantage when it suits us. We fail to put the best construction on our siblings' words, and we roll our eyes when our parents tell us to do something. God should chuck sinners like us into the trash or, to be more green, into the compost or organic recycling bin. And my friends, this is where Luther found himself time and time again over a long span of years because Luther knew he read the text, he read scripture, reviewed it, he knew he deserved to be punished for his sins. And so he just kept trying harder trying to be better behaved, but he continued to fail and fall short and started to despair of any hope of salvation. He knew there was salvation. The Bible speaks of salvation. But how is it going to be applicable to him? He didn't know. But then, by God's grace, Luther discovered an additional message in the Bible that had seemingly somehow been lost We think now today we have all this scripture in front of us that talks us about grace and faith and how we are saved. Somehow that was lost in the church of his day. He found a message of good news, which Paul put to us like this in our text. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. He says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. He says, we are made right with God by pacing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true. True for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So a common theme at a Reformation service is that we are saved by grace, and that's absolutely true. God's undeserved love is the only thing that allows us to be saved. Well, I'm trying to highlight that truth today by saying it just a little differently. We're saved by works, God's works on our behalf. Now, I want to say it this way because when we hear that we're saved by grace, I wonder if we somehow have the impression that it just doesn't cost God anything. You know, grace, free grace, we talk about that. It really doesn't cost God anything to forgive us from our sins. Let me put it this way. If you owed me $1,000, that would be a pretty big deal to both of us. I would probably want to collect it right away because this past Monday I had my car in the shop and I had a plumber at my house. And I don't need to tell you how expensive things are these days, how quickly a grand can go. So owing me money, $1,000, that's a big deal. But what if you owe Bill Gates $1,000? What's that to him? That's chump change compared to all the money that he has. Is this how we think of forgiveness? That God, in his free gift of grace to us, can afford to turn a blind eye to our sin because really, what does my misbehavior matter to an all-powerful God? But such an attitude shows that we really don't understand God at all. Sure, he's made each and every human, 7.7 billion people living on the planet right now and counting every second but we also know from scripture, from God's perspective, as far as he's concerned, he loves each and every one of us as an only child. But God doesn't take well each sin that we commit because basically with every sin we're saying, God, I don't want to be. I don't want you to be my heavenly father. I don't really like you. I don't want to be your child. That's what our sin does. It separates us from him. But it's not just a matter of us hurting God's feelings. Sin actually poisons our relationship with God. Now, if you've ever had to visit someone in the intensive care unit at the hospital, I'm talking pre-COVID, now it's hard to get in anyway. But pre-COVID, if you had to visit someone in the ICU, you sometimes had to put on gloves and masks and robe up and all of those things, usually because they didn't want you getting the patient any sicker. Sometimes it was because the patient had something that they didn't want to transfer to you. But either way, they wanted to make sure you were safe. It's only when the germs causing the sickness have been destroyed and are gone, are you able to visit and interact with your loved ones the way that you want to do. Well, it's the same way in our life. Until your sin is dealt with, you can never interact with God the way that he wants, the way that he intends. As Adam and Eve once did, walking and talking in the garden. Because that's the way God wants to relate with us. That's the way God wants to interact with us. So what did he do to remedy that situation? He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Paul wrote, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Now, we think about this in, in our current day and age, a sacrifice. That seems kind of strange and extreme. Well, what about I put it this way to you? What Jesus did is like a first responder going into a burning building to get people out. It was a burning building that we actually started to fire ourselves, right? But that first responder, Jesus, he never made it out. And Jesus didn't die to save only one of us or a few of us from that burning fire. He died to save absolutely all of humanity from that burning fire. That doesn't mean, of course, that everyone gets to go to heaven. Because without faith, the benefit of Jesus' life and death is of no use to us. If we don't have faith, what Jesus did doesn't mean a thing, doesn't count for a thing. Paul makes this clear in our text when he said that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The sacrifice of atonement refers to the atonement cover or mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, that thing that God's people throughout the Old Testament story cherished and had in their most holy of holies, first in the tabernacle and then the temple. The atonement cover was the place where the whole sacrificial system was activated when the high priest on that one day, the day of atonement, would go in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Jesus' blood for us became the once and for all atoning sacrifice that covers the sins of all the faithful. And through this covering over of our sins with Jesus' blood, God has set aside his right, legal judgment against us. He's thrown it out. God has freed us from the consequences of our sinful condition. And please don't think that faith is the one thing that we do, that we have control over, that we add to the equation, because no. Throughout our text and over and over again, especially in passages like Ephesians chapter 2, Paul declares that even faith is not something that we come up with on our own. It is also a gift from God. Without the Holy Spirit to work faith in our hearts, it'd be like that three-year-old trick-or-treating for the first time can be so overwhelmed by the other costumed kids and afraid of that stranger on whose doorstep he's standing to get candy that he doesn't even know enough to hold out his bag to get the candy bar. So mom or dad, what do they have to do? They have to take the child's hands, extend them so that the candy bar can go in the bag. So that happens for the rest of the evening. They get home, they pour out their stash of candy on the floor or kitchen table or wherever you like to have your candy stashed. And the kid, he can't claim any credit for any of his candy. He didn't buy the candy. He didn't earn the money to spend to buy the candy. He didn't even hold out his bag so the candy could be put into the bag. Mom or dad had to do that for him. That's why I like, to, like today's sermon theme, even if I wasn't brave enough to use it as my title Saved by Works. We're saved because God worked when He sent Jesus to live that perfect life for us, to die that atoning death for us, and sent that Holy Spirit to work faith in our hearts. It's been said that if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. But that's not true when it comes to our salvation. If any part of our salvation depended on something that we had control over, we would always be left wondering if we had done enough. That was Luther's problem. Have I done enough? How will I know if I've done enough? What if I haven't done enough? What are the consequences? It's the same way I would feel if Kinlan expected me to plan, pour, and finish a cement driveway all on my own. You've been watching YouTube videos for years, Dan. You probably could do it yourself. (laughs) I might try my best. I'd watch my cement guy on youtube but i could never be sure that i got everything absolutely right there are a few pieces i could probably do the measuring and planning but even that would take me a long time i know the tools that i need i've been studying those but having the tools and being able to use them two completely different things figuring out the angles pitch getting things straight even and level i'd really begin to struggle there and then the concrete truck shows up. And that's when the real struggle bus would happen because you've only got a limited amount of time that you're able to work with that stuff before it hardens up. And I'm sure I wouldn't get it right. No, we better leave that kind of work to the experts. We better leave our salvation to the experts as well. The experts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in us at all times On this Reformation Sunday, we are reminded that they and only they have done enough to wipe away our sins and earn our everlasting salvation. So we will not only rejoice in this truth, we will live in this truth as we gladly serve our Savior God and one another. Amen.